I don't remember if it's probably from both, but Syoc and Atien Zakali. But uh, yeah, to paraphrase, there are no victims, only volunteers. And I'll caveat, like, you could be a child and absolutely be a victim. But when you're an adult, like, hey, I went to the gas station, I got robbed. Like, I'm a victim. Eh, were you? Like, you went to the gas station. Like, everything's on the table. You know that can happen. It happens to people all the time. So did you prepare yourself for that with, one, familiarization with, like, violence? Do you carry tools? Like, all these other things? Or, like, no, did you just volunteer for that situation you put yourself in? And... I mean, it's like full ownership with, yeah, what you do and how you carry yourself. Like, no, like outside of a kid, like, no, no victims, only volunteers. And I mean, I know that'll rub people the wrong way. Like, hey, I was assaulted or this. And it's like, okay, maybe like, what have you done in your life to prepare yourself for a very real possibility that like everyone is aware of? You're listening to the Art and War podcast with your hosts, Nathan, BR, and Paige. Nathan is a Canadian illustrator with a couple years of military experience. BR is a British anarchist that moved to the States. And Paige is a lifelong artist based in Washington. All three are passionate shooters and community builders. Together, they run the Seaburn Art Page. Enjoy the show. So you just got back from Finnish Brutality. I just got back from Finnish Brutality. And uh, actually, we just had uh, Luke on uh, a couple days ago. So we got to chat with him a little bit, too, and just kind of catch up on some of that. Sounds like it was hell for you to get back into the States, though. I'm sorry to hear that. It was terrible. Probably the worst (laughs) series of flights I've ever had. I have had, for whatever reason, the last uh, probably, Finland being the exception, but for the last probably eight or nine flights in a row, because I was like all over the place this year, I had nothing but delays and issues like planes have gotten so much worse after COVID. It sucks so bad. <laughs> oh. I mean, honestly, if you look at airline travel before 9-11, it was awesome. Like it was part of the vacation. Now it's horrible on See, all levels. I had never even been on a plane until I was like 20 years old. So, or 19. So I never got to experience the pre 9-11 phenomenon that everybody talks about with planes. (laughs) It used to be so nice. There's a a museum of flight. I don't know if you've been to the museum of flight on this side because you're you're Pacific Northwest side, right? You're out here? Yeah. Okay. North Idaho. Um, And they have the museum of flight south of us and they have some old planes in there from the 60s and like their economy was stellar. Like the the shit, the Airbuses and stuff they were making back in the 60s and the 70s trying to improve things had whole like kitchen galleys and awesome cushy leather like chairs. I'm like, this is fucking awesome. Why can't we have this now? Why can't we have nice things? Yeah, we've regressed. We have. I recently got the TSA pre-check. And it's like changed my life. They like, you know, I think intentionally suck at their job so that you're forced to pay money to do the thing. But uh, <laughs> they got me and it works. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I've thought about it. And I don't know. It's so infuriating, like dealing with TSA. It's like, oh, you took the most incompetent people for technically one of the more important jobs. And then you put them all in the same place. And then Sweet. all of them have like maybe one brain cell between them. Like, I don't think I've ever been somewhere where there's like proficient TSA agents. I want to know too, like, I feel like there's got to be like a TSA simulator out there where I can see what it is that they're looking for and be, I, I just, 
there's got to be real metrics somewhere for what they've actually prevented because everything I've heard has just been like they don't do shit. And I was like, is that 100% no? Like true? there's there's a lot of like a lot of stuff gets through like when they go basically like test and be like, cool, like we're going to go try and get stuff through. I mean, I know a lot of friends who have been like, Oh my bad. Like I accidentally got a gun or ammo through and obviously weren't going to say anything about it. They just like took it to where they were going. And then we're like, I'm not bringing that back and like shipped it. If it was a gun or something like that. Yeah, no, they're not good at their job. I can't believe how many people have had, uh, like extra, like full mags. Like I knew someone not long ago who was traveling for, I don't know, a course somewhere and accidentally just had a mag that was in one of his jacket pockets and threw it in his carry on. No one caught it. And it's a fully loaded 30 round mag of five, five, six. He was just like, Oh God, I didn't mean to do that. And then he didn't realize it until he got out and like took out his jacket and we're just like, I have a fully loaded Mac. How did they not catch this? Like, I'm glad they didn't, but still, what the fuck? I'm like, yeah, that's rough. TSA, tip of the spear. Well, and then you look at, like, we were at a literal bomb park in Finland, and I was definitely walking through explosives, and we none of my shit popped hot for anything. I mean, they didn't, like, check it, but I was just surprised. I expected a, maybe a level of a little bit different screening walking out. I was like... No. For sure, they're going to catch me in customs. I have to be like, it's okay. It's the bomb guys. You know them. <laughs> you know, they said that they know you pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, not fun. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about you and what it is that, what, what Kit Badger is. Things I do. Well, I guess to create context for what I now do. Uh, I ended up spending a bunch of time in the Marine Corps infantry back in like 98 to 02, somewhere in there. Ended up deploying out. We are the first like conventional ground unit over in Afghanistan back at the end of 01. Interesting time to be in the Marine Corps, like going from peacetime to wartime. But after that, got out, messed around, did some junior college so I didn't have to actually work. To GI Bill and uh, did some off road racing, actually racing the Baja 1000 a couple times. What? And then, yeah, it was pretty fun. What did you race in that? Uh, the best car I could race, which was free. And the first time it was a, I think it was an 87 Toyota Tercel wagon, four wheel drive. So and, uh, just tell us a little bit what, what that means. I'm familiar with it, but just like, what, what yeah, is that so basically, <clears throat> So basically I took, so they have a bunch of different classes of like classes you can race in, at least back in the day. Like my understanding is it's changed a lot now as far as like how it's structured, but there used to be a ton of different classes, like for motorcycles, for example, as far as based on like how many CCs your bike is or whatever. And then there's like a trophy truck class, class one, which is like unlimited, like a buggy class and stuff. And they also had like stock VW class, all these different classes. And they also had sportsman truck, which was like, run what you brought. And really the only thing that matters was like, hey, will you pass technical inspection, which is really just about safety. Like, hey. Do you have a good roll cage actually made of like tubular steel? Hey, do you actually have a fuel cell? Is it properly secured? 
all just safety stuff really for the tech inspection. And so I'm like, man, I wouldn't mind racing that. And so I got some people together and we basically built this vehicle. <laughs> like it was, a, it was pretty amazing. Yeah, Toyota Tercel wagon, basically cut the whole back off of it. Like got rid of the front windshield, ended up with essentially like expanded steel grate like for a windshield. And then somewhere during the course, I'm pretty sure we just ripped that off because it's like, this is terrible. And uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty Mad Max. It was so pretty basically awesome. Just anyone can, uh, anyone can apply to this. Uh, you used to be able to. My understanding is they basically changed it to where they ended up changing it to where basically the times are way because you have to get to these checkpoints like waypoints by certain times because you're going roughly a thousand miles like down Baja and um, yeah so it's a distance and so you have to basically hit these different checkpoints and my understanding is it now caters to just a faster race so they, I don't even know if they have like stock VW class anymore or any of that other stuff. Yeah, which is kind of a bummer. But yeah, I ended up racing it. And then I'm like, well, I already have a race vehicle. So I raced a couple other vehicle or a couple other races in the score series, the Laughlin Desert Challenge, and then the Henderson Terrible 250. And basically, by the end of those, like the vehicle was done, like it was destroyed. But then I'm like, oh, I kind of want to race the Baja 1000 one more time. So made another vehicle this time because the other one was gone. And so made another vehicle. Oh, yeah. Like Laughlin Desert Challenge. Like part of it is there. So quick side story. Laughlin Desert Challenge. Part of it is there's a Laughlin Leap, which actually takes place before the race. And it's this huge jump in front of the stadium that vehicles go off to see how far they can clear. That's and so, so it's awesome. it's part of the race course. So the race course basically goes in front of the grand or in front of the huge like grandstand, makes a quick turn, comes back in front of the grandstand where the jump is, and then goes, makes another tight turn, goes out in the desert, does a loop, comes back. And so my cousin, he was a driving for me, like co-pilot. And so we're driving through, we of course limp ourselves down and over this giant jump. Cause we're like, no, we don't need, we don't need to break the car like one minute into the race. So then we drive out through the desert and then of course it's just getting beat up. I mean, it's a stock TW or a stock Tercel wagon. So it's just getting beat up like in the off-road course. And all of a sudden, like the vehicle dies. And I'm like, man, what the hell happened? And so take the hood off, throw it off to the side of the course. And I look in there and the battery, this gel cell Optima battery, had fallen in. Like basically the bracket broke loose. It fell into the engine. One of the pulleys cut through the cable and part of the way through the gel cell battery. And I'm just Holy like, Oh shit. man, like that's a bummer. And so I'm like, how do we deal with this? And I'm like, okay, I got an idea. And so when we originally were kind of like revamping our Toyota and by revamp, I mean, I think we changed out the shocks on it and we like changed the oil in it. But the other thing we did do is actually run like a proper ground 
And so, but we, we had left hanging inside the engine compartment is the old body ground. So it's basically the, it's like just a little braided metal cable that runs to a terminal. And we just left it because we didn't need it. We had put a new ground in there. And so fortunately that was still hanging in there. So I took the battery, <laughs> threw it back up where it was, took one of the ratchet straps that was securing one of two ratchet straps, securing the fuel cell in the back, ran the ratchet strap basically through the fender and then through the engine compartment and ratcheted the battery down against essentially the side of like the engine compartment, like with this ratchet strap running through the fender well, put that little tiny braided wire like body ground back on it and bam, back in business. And so we cruised back around. Backwards shit I've ever heard. So shade tree mechanic job right there. And so limp this thing back around and people are still racing around us. And so this, I remember this vehicle distinctly, this vehicle coming up behind us was like, what? Like such loud exhaust. And I'm not going to go off of like the beaten path because like I don't really want to get stuck out there in the middle of the desert. Like I just want to get back to like the pit. And so this guy goes around us, like barely misses us, hits this huge thing like sagebrush that just explodes as he drives through it and passes us. So eventually we get back around. And so we're coming back around the front of the grandstand and I'm like, hey man, we're pretty much done with the race. Like, do you want to just hit this jump as hard as we can? And he's like, okay, like sounds good. And I'm like, all right, let's do this thing. So we make that last turn for in front of this huge jump and just start going through the gears, manual transmission, what, what, shifting up, go hit this. And it's like this tabletop jump, basically. And so we hit this thing and they measure it later because they do the Laughlin leap there. And so from where we left the jump to where we landed, we cleared like 53 feet, like, laterally holy bounced bounced because we don't have suspension so bounced (laughs) all four wheels then off the ground and probably bounced one or two more times and then i'm trying to downshift and decelerate as fast as possible because we're coming in a super tight turn that's already rutted out totally going to too fast while i'm still trying to downshift and slow down end up rolling and so we end up stopping like upside down undo like i'm trying to turn off all the switches electronic fuel pump like fuel's just pouring out of the engine there's no there's there's we still it's out in the desert somewhere like the hood so there's no hood like fuel's just pouring out of the engine like i'm turning all the switches off undo our h harnesses like fall onto the roof of the car climb out some guys help us like come over like ems is there we we get the vehicle off the off the track. Needless to say, that that ended that race. Yeah, how were your bodies? Um, like, not bad. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it probably compressed my spine, like because <laughs> that that was real, like flying that far in a '87 Toyota Tercel wagon with zero fucking suspension. Oh yeah, and it's like, oh, here's a good idea. Let's put these race seats in it so we can have H harnesses. 
And they're literally just plastic like bucket hard seats. bucket seats, like yeah, nothing. Yeah, one hundred percent. Go kart, go kart technology. Uh, no, I like. Yeah. I jumped my truck on accident. I had my Tacoma, and I was out like in in the Seattle area. It's really hilly, like San Francisco or something, right? So you'll reach points where you're doing. It. And I'm driving out West Seattle, and it's nighttime, and you can't see. It's a really dark night. It's a little rainy. Like I'm going. Thank God I was going just residential speeds. Like if I was going any faster, I don't know what would have happened. But it's like, oh, here's this little lip, and then it just like 90 degree drops off the other side, and you're like, okay. Uh, realistically, <laughs> it was probably more like a fucking, uh, you know, like maybe a maybe like a what, like a 60 degree. Oh, so it wasn't like quite you know deep, but it, they're they're steep as you know they get steep as fuck. Yeah. Like you can fall down those things. So like. I just was cruising and I was going at like yeah, 25 because everything's like these little one lane roundabouts. And the way that the hill went down, another hill went up and like on the horizon at night, it just kind of looked continuous. So it's just yes, like you hit it perfect. Oh, yeah. So I'm just cruising. All of a sudden I'm just like, boom. I'm like, oh, my God. And then like I hit just and I'm like, oh, my God fuck is my under like and i didn't i didn't have like crazy shocks on it it wasn't a four by four it was just like an sr5 like you know two-wheel drive yeah. whatever but it was like still kind of a heavy truck and i'm like oh god so i like pull over like get underneath it with my flashlight like somehow like whatever kadunk happened the fucking undercarriage was still okay uh i had like enough height off the ground that i don't think it hit too hard i'm like checking my axle like okay no snapped axle no fluids leaking like praise the lord we didn't break anything but i was like that was you don't have to have much like people don't realize how crazy it is driving in a truck even in like four buying at just if like you know 15 miles an hour like that's that can be fast through that shit. So thinking of you going and clearing 53 fucking feet, like the equivalent of like a four or five story building laterally and hitting that is just like, wow. Okay. Yeah. That sucks. Yeah. And speaking of how you're undercarriage and you're like, Oh, everything's good. So when we landed, it totally blew out one of the front CV joints. Like just <laughs> just done. Ripped the, ripped the entire thing out. And actually tore the frame because it's a unibody frame. But yeah, we basically kind of fixed it and welded it up as best we could to race it one more time, which we did. But then, yeah, then we moved on to the next vehicle for the next Baja 1000. Have you ever done the Rambler? I've heard of the Rambler and I've never... No, it sounds a lot of fun. You just take a ship box and go as far as you can with it. So like maybe that's kind of what the Baja 1000 like used to be, it sounds like. Probably. Because like I know people who've done that and they're like, oh, it's so fun. They just take a ship box, get it like just so long as it runs. They'll put a fucking toy engine in the thing just to get it to go. And then you just do your best. Yeah, no, that would be... I've heard good stuff about Like I think that would be actually a fun race. And uh, yeah, who knows? Maybe I'll do that sometime. Yeah, because you're also not in the desert. Like you go through things, but it's not just being stuck in like high heat, fucked up places. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. Like I remember passing like they were safe. They were just standing off to the side watching like a hundred thousand dollar race vehicle just like burn to the ground. Just a giant fireball as they just watched it or guy getting medevaced by a helicopter like after he just flew off into like a riverbed onto rocks like on his quad like yeah people get people get wrecked in that thing no they're like i would grow up i, I grew up like motorcycle racing and, and riding bikes and go-karts and everything else and you know i was driving from the time i was probably i don't know 
you know, as a kid, I'd sit in my dad's lap and drive the truck. So I was like, I was able to like feel like I could drive well by the time I was like 13, you know? So it's like, okay, you know, familiar with vehicles. But like jumping and shit, I had some early, I had some early cautionary tales about that. And it's like, if you don't have control, like the first time I think I was like, maybe I was probably five. We were over at one of our parents' friend's house and they had a really dedicated motorcycle track. One of the guys I think used to do uh, some really intense like like motocross stuff. And he went off this jump. They had the really, the, the big jumps, like the huge, you know. The, like I mean, where you jumping. need to land on the yes. other jump. They're doing, yes. exactly. And they're doing like, you know, flips and shit and knack-knacks and supermans. Like they're doing the whole thing. These are the kinds of guys who show up to your monster truck show. You know what I mean? So they're doing the thing. But one of the guys in the air goes to do a trick and the bike gets away from him. And he just falls, however many feet that was. Like, it was, he was way the fuck up there. You know, he had to be a couple stories in the air. Like, if anyone's seen those, like, pro jumps, you know how high they are to, like, get those, that, that traction to get the height to do flips and shit. And he ended up falling and just landing on his tailbone and, like, just breaking the shit out of his tailbone. <laughs> I was fine. I'm like, whoa. So that's what happens. And then, you know, I fucked around a little bit, found out a few times. And then years later, we were riding again. And uh, I was probably 10 and uh, or 11. And my dad was on uh, just riding dirt bikes as we were out at the river bar. We're with family and shit. And he jumped. Something happened and like the handlebar like flipped around, like hit him in the sternum. He went down and was just knocked out. And I remember being like, oh my God, my dad just died. And I'm like 11, <laughs> like, holy shit. He's going like <sighs> on the ground, all like gurgling. And I'm like, this is crazy. And then the paramedic, he was fine. They're like, oh, he's alive. You know, I got like an aunt who's freaking out. Like, oh my God, he's You know, and he was just like gurgling. Like, okay, cool. He's breathing. Like, you know, is he like, how retarded is he now? We're good. You know, check, check this files. He comes in, he knew his birthday and stuff, you know, it, but it, 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 it knocked him out pretty good. And I'm like, damn, like that was a, the, I think that probably saved my life thinking back on it early on because I have a tendency to be like, yeah, I can do that. And then I go to do it and I'm like, uh, Paige is actually not capable of doing this. I didn't find out till I was in the air. <laughs> yeah, no, like it's good to, it's good to learn from other people. Yeah, you know. So that I, you don't have to do it yourself. If that were only true for most others, like anyone listening, if you're that person who's like, oh, I learned so much from my mistakes. That's why I keep making them. Like you need to reevaluate some things and look at the people around you. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And I mean, sometimes you just got to make the mistake yourself. Like every if you go through. So one of fast forward, I have a YouTube channel and one of the videos that's actually got the most like the most views that I've ever posted was talking about like being a security contractor, like the pros and cons of it. And almost everyone in there is like, OK, like I understand all the things you just said, but. I got this. You're like, mm, okay, maybe. Like, maybe you're going to be the one that's somehow going to beat the odds that everyone else falls into. Like, okay, maybe. What was the uh, what was the criteria for that? I like. I want. I want more to that story. No, I mean it's just it was one of those where I'm like, hey, like security contracting, like big picture, like it's a trap. Like here's all the things to be aware of. Like you, it, it changes your relationship with money because chances are you're largely unskilled other than being able to carry a gun, which is not <laughs> like 
a real sought after skill that gets paid for in like polite society. And so, yeah, chances are you never made very much money and now you're making like six figures and you're getting paid, I don't know, five or 600 bucks, maybe a thousand bucks depending on the contract for just waking up like every day. And all of a sudden it just, it changes your relationship. So you're like, Oh cool. Like that only costs, I don't know, like three days of work. And you're like, no, that's like $1,500. Like that's real. But again, it just changes your relationship with that or all the things you convince yourself that like, Oh, well, yeah, I have a family, but I'm going to have more time with my family. Cause I'm only gone half the year. And then the other half, I get to be there. And you're like, maybe or not, because life goes on for your family when you're gone. Like, you miss that and will never get that back. And especially if you have kids, like, it's little things. It's not the, oh, cool, like, I budgeted this two months to hang out together. It's the, oh, my gosh, like, I just lost my first tooth. Or, hey, learn to ride a bike. Like, all that meaningful stuff you miss because you can't budget for it. And then on top of that, too, you're gone. So you are off, gone, doing whatever you're doing overseas. And again, life is going on without you. So then it's really disruptive when you come back because your spouse is like, oh, like, I had it figured out without you. And now you're just coming and wrecking my routine that I had. And yeah, like it's really difficult. It's difficult to maintain meaningful relationships like with deploying like that. And it's not super unique to security contracting specifically. I mean, it's same with like oil field workers and stuff like that. Go and work like month on, month off in Alaska or whatever it is. And, but yeah, people, people read that, they hear it and they're just like, oh yeah, you screwed that up, but I got this. You're like, okay, cool story, bro. You like, know, let me know how it plays out. You say that about just like when you said the trap, I'm thinking like very physically in some way, like, oh, like, it's like things are a setup. You're going into danger. But I think what you're saying is, is so much more, you know, profound than that. And, and that sometimes you make a bunch of money, but at what cost? And it's like, that is what it is. It's golden handcuffs. It's like, because then it wrote, like when I left, I left because I had to reevaluate what was important in my life, namely my boys and being a father. So when I left, totally left without a plan, like no plan. And so I went from making again daily rate i think when i left it was like 575 or something like that and then i'm like well i have to work so i started stocking shelves like part-time at a grocery store started working part-time at uh what was it like landscaping started driving for like uber and stuff like that and i would look at the money i was making for like a two week paycheck, like working part time. I'm just like, Oh, or I could have worked for a day and a half. Like there's that. And so, I mean, yeah, like it is a huge trap, but it's one of those where like, Hey, what do you actually value? Like if you want money, like you can find jobs that will give you money, but 
at what cost does that come, which can be significant. I think I see that a lot with, um, I don't think it's just like a modern thing, but especially in, uh, I don't know, you know, what your, what your home life dynamic and stuff was with your spouse, but I see it a lot where men will work, women will pull away from them, you know, cause there's an emotional separation. Then men aren't getting, they come home to just all of the things that she's been, you know, festering on with the kids, the frustrations and the routines that she's found. And then it's like, you come home and then the guy ends up being in the way, the enemy doing nothing right. And then he goes to his job. And this doesn't necessarily just mean like contracting. This is in so many places, men sometimes will, will go into their, I guess anybody, men or women, but I, I see this a lot in a male dynamic. They'll put themselves in a work position because their purpose often identifies with provision and that's the one place where they have tangible evidence of like success or growth or appreciation and that's a real bummer too so as much as it's like yeah the father goes away sorry no i was gonna say like 100 percent. look so that dynamic right there in part like contracting and stuff like that i think like it amplifies that but like that is the dynamic that like largely ruins marriages. So for my own part, you end up going and there's separation, as you mentioned. And so people turn to like, okay, well, what, what can I do? Like what, what's in front of me? And so then you have men largely like myself being like, okay, cool. Like I'm, I'm going here, I'm doing this so I could provide better for our family, blah, blah, blah. Like that is the stance. And then on the other side, it's like the martyrdom, like, well, I'm doing all this for our kids and blah, blah, blah. And the real answer is like, oh, like probably just work on the relationship, like i.e. marriage. Cause like all that other stuff largely sorts it out, but yeah, what happens is people move too far in either direction and then just double down on whether it's providing as a man or like, Hey, I'm taking care of the kids. Like I'm doing all this for them. And yeah, it does not end well. Sample size of one. I think there's a a balance there too, though. Like a lot of, I think some women want it both ways, which is why you get like, you know, the dependipotamus, you know, they call them things like that, where they, <laughs> they come home, they get that, that guy who goes off and then they cheat on their dude while he's doing the thing because I wasn't emotionally taken care of. And it's like, well, you know, some people have to understand like if what you're look, you have to look at what you're looking for too. Like if a, or really assess what, what it is that you're looking for, because a lot of women will put weight in those things and that, well, he has to give me the house and the hair products and the clothes and the handbag and the, you know, they want all this stuff, but they forget that in order to get the things, it's not just money you're exchanging. It's hours of your life. When I work on something, anyone who works on anything, like I had an existential crisis at 16 when I was working at the shoe store and I go to buy a fucking pretzel and I sit down, I get this meal and the meal was like $10 and something cents. And I sat down and I realized this is worth more than an hour of my pay. (laughs) Like an hour and whatever minutes of my pay at this time, because I was getting like eight, the minimum wage was like 8.25 an hour or something. And I was like an hour plus of my life went into buying this fucking pretzel and lemonade. Holy shit. And when that like clicked for me, 
Like I, I you know, kind of got that concept, but in that moment I really understood it and I was like, holy shit. So people will trade these things and forget what that trade is, going back to what you were saying about money at what cost. But I think as much as a man goes and provides, maybe gets stuck in that loop, women oftentimes too want it all. And then they'll sit there and be like, oh, well, you know, you do all that. And the man's like, I'm giving you everything you want. And it's like, what she really wants is just him. And what he really wants is usually just her or like that family, that dynamic. And sometimes the guy feels like the only way he can do that is if he does slave away to do the thing. And that's just unhealthy. I agree. 100%. BR here with a quick word from our newest sponsor of the show that made our first video podcast possible. The great people over at Attorneys for Freedom. Attorneys for Freedom are a real criminal defense law firm offering attorneys on retainer for legal representation in self-defense cases and are not some insurance company or provider. This means that Attorneys for Freedom are able to cover scenarios that are often denied coverage by other programs. Self-defense scenarios such as while in gun-free zones or sensitive areas, while under the influence or on medication, scenarios where you knew your attacker, and while using any weapon in self-defense, from a firearm to a household object or otherwise. Additionally, Attorneys for Freedom will not drop you from coverage, nor will they ever ask you to pay them back. Even if you take a plea deal where you admit guilt to a criminal act, Attorneys for Freedom will not ask to recoup their fees. Attorneys for Freedom covers 100% of your attorney's fees in the event that you can reasonably argue that you are acting in self-defense, and now you're facing serious felony charges. The primary key to coverage is their ability to reasonably argue self-defense in court. Nathan and I have signed up already, and you can too, in no time at all. The National Self-Protection Plan is available with a one-time sign-up fee of $100 and just $35 per month after that. Family plans and annual rates are also available. Signing up via the link in the show notes or via the Art Instagram bio link helps support the show with both your initial sign-up and every month you retain Attorneys for Freedom services. Get covered in all 50 states, support the show, and have peace of mind that should your worst day come, Attorneys for Freedom has your back. Thanks for listening, people. How's it going, lads and ladies? We are here with a quick word from the longest-running sponsor of the Art and War podcast, Advanced Warfighting Solutions. AWS have been making tough-as-hell gear for decades right here in the U.S. in North Carolina. Nathan, myself, and thousands of others run that gear through the ringer and trust our lives to it, whether that's LARPing in the woods or dragging kit through war zones. AWS manufactures many great packs, pouches, plate carriers, and our personal favorite, the SMU Operator Belt. A set-and-forget gun belt that crushes in build quality, capability, and excellent feedback from its many users. We are tough on our gear here at Art and War, and the SMU takes that treatment in its stride. Though already at a sweet price point, you can knock $10 more off your SMU belt with the code ARTANDWAR10 at awsin.com. The code and link to the AWS website can be found in the show description. Thanks for listening, now let's get back to the show. Well, continuing with Kit Badger, I guess. So, side note. Ended up doing the off-road racing, decided to go back in the military, ended up uh, in the Air Force, was there for about four years, and then got out, messed around in junior college, ended up meeting my wife, or then-wife, ended up going, doing some law enforcement for about a year and a half, and we were married, our first, or my oldest son, our first kid, was just being born, and they were looking at laying people, or at least giving everyone pink slips. And I was like, hey, can you guarantee me that, can you basically guarantee me my job? And they're like, no. And right at that time, it had started probably like two years prior, my TSSCI clearance came through. And so I had an offer to go contract. So I'm like, let's do this. So I started security contract. Did that for six years. That in part like led to 
said divorce with said wife and reframing what was important in my life, which really boiled down to being a father for my boys, two boys that I have. And so when I stepped away from contracting again, totally without a plan, I was like, hey, like if I'm going to be poor, like I'm going to be poor doing something I love. So I started Kit Badger, which is basically a website like kitbadger.com as well as the associated YouTube channel as well as a couple other platforms where I basically post video reviews largely of outdoor gear, tactical gear. Again, going back to the premise of the story makes sense. Going back to basically time spent in the military, law enforcement, things like that, as well as like outdoor stuff. And so everything kind of hinges and use that past experience to evaluate different pieces of gear and yeah, guns, all that stuff to include just some like adventure videos, sometimes with my boys, things along those lines. But when I ended up starting that, like that was really and truly like, Hey, I don't know what is going to. I don't know what it's going to look like here, like financially moving forward, but I'm going to want to do something that I actually enjoy, even if it was just really a side hustle at the time. And then moving forward, finally got to the point where it's absolutely like more successful. But again, the goal of it the entire time was to have time. Like in there's probably a bunch of money on the table because ultimately I could go work more. But at the end of the month when I'm like, oh, cool, rent's paid? Like, cool, let's go play. And since I have my boys 50-50, like week on, week off, that turns into me just getting to go do all the important things that I want to do versus, again, like chasing money, which is not a motivating factor for me. I mean, everyone needs money because that's real. Like, yeah, you should not care about money, but uh, the uh, electrical bill doesn't care if you don't care about money. It's coming. <laughs> this is true. But um, no, like being able to basically balance that though to where it's like, hey, like what do I value? And investing to where you get the things that you value to where, cool, like – I have the time to go do the things I want and the things I enjoy largely dovetail fortunately with work. So like I get to take my boys, like go down to shooting competition and have my oldest son run around and film me for some of the stages or whatever. And yeah, good times. No, I think that's really critical that, I mean, I think some people get caught up in it and forget that it's like they can find that balance or they feel that it's impossible like you say you did contracting for six years. I don't know anyone. I know a lot of contractors. I've got plenty of my family. And it's like, I, as far as those go, like I don't know anyone who's done it less than like five years. And many of them are right. like married men or have had a lot of fiancés that didn't work out or, you know, divorces, whatever. And I recognize though too that, I don't know, I, I guess I don't, I don't, uh, feel too harshly about those people or think that they're irresponsible because I get why people do it. Like I've never been in a position where, you know, I'm, I've never fucking served. I've never done anything, you know, important in that way. I've had the exceptional privilege of getting to, uh, go to some very real, you know, courses and experiences. And even when I'm in that and you're there for a week and all you're doing is waking up, 
planning violence, committing violence, going back to sleep, and that's your routine, nothing else matters and everything makes fucking sense. Like every time I come home from that, like I'm just like, what do I do with my life? Like not, like it's the only time I ever felt like I've had a real vacation, as counterintuitive as that sounds, is when I go do something like that. When I'm away and like that's all I'm focused on. It's not someone necessarily telling me what to do and how to live, but you just go there and then you focus on one thing and you're sitting there just like, adrenaline min-maxing the whole time and stress inoculation and working together with people, everything just clicks. And then I I left that the first time I'd done something like that going, I think the tiniest bit I understand, not just know, but understand why people keep going back to that. It's like the end of the hurt locker, you know, or the guy comes home to his kid and his, uh, his wife and and leaves and it's just like, oh, gotta go do it again. People are like, what the fuck? How can you do that? And the people who've been in it are like, no, no, I get that. And I do understand that. And anyone who hasn't experienced that, who hasn't experienced being in a position where you're utilizing all of your like physical lizard brain adrenaline and skills and, and honing those things to to eliminate a threat or work towards that, it's... There's nothing else like it. I think that in part what that speaks to too is just like purpose or lack of purpose in daily life where, hey, if there's, if there's some sort of mission to where you're mission oriented, like, and if you actually believe in the mission, then yeah, like you have purpose and you're like, oh, cool. Like this makes sense. Like, let's go do the thing. But a lot of people don't have a mission or honestly much of a purpose. And as a quick aside, when I talk about, hey, things I enjoy, like what motivates me in my life is largely having experiences, like to include Finnish brutality. Like yeah. I was super stoked on the experience, like not a outcome, just the experience. And when I say caveat, like some people really want to see a decimal point move in a bank account and like that's them like that's their motive and if that's you like that's cool like just i don't know <laughs> recognize that that will probably come with a cost with respect to interpersonal relationships and stuff like that <laughs> just a little but, just a little i mean it can but uh yeah to each their own you know you, you mentioned purpose and I feel like that's, that's a really important thing. And I, I'd argue that there's a bit of a, a purpose crisis, especially among young men. Like there's a reason we read Lord of the Rings or, you know, read these stories or the Odyssey and, and you, even biblical stories and look at that and, and connect with that, the, the, the greater the greater good, whatever that means, or, or the, yeah, the, the hero's journey. Yeah, the, exactly. The hero's journey. Thank you. That's what I was looking for. And like with that, people are so placated and content to a point of, or even I guess if they're discontent, they refuse to move from their pool of stagnation. And it's really sad because I think there's a lot of young men who right now, even just getting their ass up, making their fucking bed and going to lift weights. Like that's in and of itself, it's a simple thing. Simple doesn't mean easy, but it's, it's a simple thing, right? Could vastly improve their lives and help them work towards something. And so many 
people right now, and I say specifically men, right, as we've like destroyed the, uh, uh, the, the nuclear, uh, the nuclear family, as we've destroyed, you know, what, uh, you know, for what it's worth, most men, I'm sure even listening knows what it's like to, to feel invisible, to cling to a compliment because no one's told you that you look nice and, and forever long. You know, the thing that women complain about when they hit their wall, men experience sometimes their whole fucking life, right? Where they're like, all of a sudden no one's looking at me and I'm not getting compliments anymore. And it's like, yeah, welcome to what a man experiences his whole life because he feels expendable. And it's just, it, I don't know, it's, it's, it's sad to see. And I don't know what advice as a real father, as someone who's experienced, do you think that like you can give to someone for finding purpose? Oof, man, that's a big one, a tall ask. Um, yeah, I don't, I mean, people find it a lot of different places. And I mean, you have things like the military, which <laughs> does it for you <laughs> and things like that. I mean, you do in um, and I mean, it's formulaic on a certain sense. Like how do you end up like, well, I guess bonding, I guess is relatively like formulaic and stuff, maybe not finding purpose, but like the ability to bond like with other men through like hardship and shared experiences and things along those lines. Um, but like on the purpose side, man, that is, that's a tough one. So I guess I will share a kind of related story that might roundabout answer that. I kind of after I'd already started Kit Badger, I was following and I can't for the life of me remember who it was, but he basically, there was a video talking about like, Hey, like kind of finding your passion. And with that, the way it was described is go through and make, and I've actually shared this with some friends who were kind of like stuck, like, Hey, like, what should I be doing? And I'm, it's like, okay, we'll go on a big whiteboard or something like that. Big sheet of paper, whatever it is. Um, basically write down all the things that you actually enjoy doing, like the things you enjoy doing. And then also go through and write down all the things that you're actually good at, which doesn't mean you have to enjoy doing them, but things you are actually good at. And then lastly, basically fill this other space with all the things you would like to do, or at least think you would like to do. Cause sometimes when you do things, you find out you don't really want to do them. Yeah. <laughs> but with all of those things thrown out there, ultimately work on creating a big Venn diagram. And so where do most of those things ultimately end up overlapping? And that is probably a good place to start. Like for my own part, I love spending time out in the mountains. Like I also really enjoy shooting like on the range and stuff like that. And I like, there's absolutely a creative, like artistic side of me. So like, I enjoy like, uh, I mean, drawing, writing, photography, like all this different stuff to include editing, filming. And so for me, like with respect to Kit Badger, like everything it is, like largely that is like squarely in the middle of this bin, big Venn diagram of all the things I want to do, am good at, and enjoy doing. Like it's right there in the middle. And I mean that... Now, how do you kind of divine a purpose out of that? Like, 
I don't know, like specifically for me with respect to Kit Badger, like there's kind of three pillars that it stands on, I guess, as with respect to the content I create, like one, ideally trying to be educational, like help people make informed decisions on whether something works or doesn't work in the context of how they're going to use it. And then also hopefully entertaining on some level. As far as even if it's just cool backdrops, like I film everything largely up in the mountains or just cool places, not in a basement. And then lastly, to hopefully inspire, whether it's ideally get people out into the mountains or just doing more things like physically spending more time on the range or even a lot of the feedback I get that's really positive is just especially when I include my boys in my videos and just like get to interact and on a certain level just kind of model like largely a pretty positive like yeah in a pretty positive way too like my boys my boys are awesome like i love them but yeah um i don't know if that answers your question no, at all <laughs> no i i funny enough um there's something called ikigai uh it's the Japanese Venn diagram of purpose. And uh, what you explained is effectively your organic coming to that diagram. Uh, Ikigai is spelled like uh, I-K-I-G-A-I. Uh, anyone listening, you should just take a moment to look it up. It's a really cool picture that just shows like, vocation, career purpose and it's and it's that it's like here's the thing that makes money here's what you enjoy doing here's what this is here's the thing that you're good at and it makes money that's what this is here's what and it's just a it just sounds like a like a more succinctly organized version of what you're what you're talking yeah. about and i think that's a great start and it's an easy well not easy for people but a simple way to uh, address things to, to look at that and to have a moment of what am I good at? What makes, you know, what, what, what makes meaningful moves in my life? Do I care about doing something meaningful or am I just trying to survive? Like for, for me personally, I have my, my three elements of my own business, which is how much do I like it? How much time does it take? And how much money does it make? Those are the three perfect, like if I can get that overlap and the sweet spot someday, that'd be awesome. But that's a lot of discovery. Like you mentioned trying things out that uh, you know, oh, you try that. You don't know if you're going to like it again. There's a point as I like to say it. I think the the adult turning point is knowing the difference between could and should. And that's with maturity. Like, oh, I could take on another 150 commissions. Should I? <laughs> no. So it's like coming oh. down to I can have this shit food every night if I want. Should I? No, as you're sitting there eating crappy food because you're 18 living on your own. You're like, oh, yeah, I can do whatever the fuck I want now. There's no mom and dad to tell me what to do. And then you're like, oh, no, my parents were right. You know, and you're sitting there all just like sick off shit food with no vitamins and full of American uh, sugar. And you're like, oh, why have I done this to myself? You know? No, absolutely. And I mean, yeah, the other part to that when people are kind of reflecting and looking at like, hey, like, what do I want to be doing? And things along those lines. Well, two things. First, I will mention, be real, like, as real as you can be with yourself. And ask yourself, 
do I want to do this or do I want to have done that? Because I'll do a lot of things that people will want to have done, but they do not want to go do the thing that I'm doing. Like there's things that are difficult and uncomfortable, like to get to places or to do things like, yeah, like there's usually a lot of work involved. So do you actually want to do that work and ultimately go on the journey of doing that thing? Or do you want to just have done it? Like, do you want to climb a mountain or do you want to have climbed a mountain? Do you like the idea of having climbed a mountain or do you want to actually go climb the damn mountain? Like, That's a really those good are, way of putting it. Those are wildly different, wildly different experiences as far as like, do you want to be in a place where you can reflect back on like, oh, I climbed a mountain or do you want to actually climb the damn mountain? Like, because those are not the same. And there's a lot of people that like the idea of something without actually really wanting to go do it. Because if you're trying to find the destination, like, good luck with that versus if you commit to the journey of wherever it is. Like with Kit Badger, if I if I was like, man, I want to make a YouTube channel so I can make money, sweet. Yeah, that would have failed a long time ago versus, hey, man, like I'm going to make Kit Badger. It's going to be something I enjoy doing, which is going to keep me doing it. And eventually it's going to make money because in 10 years, I'm going to be an overnight success. And being real about the timeline, like, cool, like I'm on track seven years into my 10 year in your timeline of being an overnight success, like we'll get there. <laughs> but no, like it's, it's a journey and you better be in for the journey. Otherwise you're probably going to be disappointed if you're just looking for an outcome. That's such a valid point in the way that like even the having said, Oh, I did that thing. It's, it's the notch on the belt. It's you fucked that chick, you went to that place, you did whatever. But in that moment, there's a lot of disassociation from that. But I think about that too, where, you know, there's some survival stuff I hope to take here pretty soon. And it sounds like hell. It sounds like absolute fucking hell. And the reason I want to do it isn't just to say like, oh, I did it. It's to be like, no, I, I'm better for it. And that's something where I really like collect, I, I like to say that I collect experiences. I like to collect experiences, yeah. but it's not for the sake of accolade. It has to give me something that enriches my life in a way that helps me remain prepared and accountable, if that makes sense. Like, no, for I, sure. Like you, I mean, every time I go out in the mountains and every time I go light a fire, like with a ferro rod or something like that, like, cool, another rep. Like, yeah, I got a lighter in my pocket, but I'll go out of my way because it's like, all right, cool. Like, I'm going to continue to, like, continue to work towards mastering your craft, whatever it is, like time on the range, all that stuff. And it's about that continual journey with that rather than just being there. And I think that is often kind of lost on people. You know, and I think there's a, on that note, like there's an understanding that that needs to be that going back to purpose and stuff, I think there needs to be an understanding of accountability. People are so, it's like they're allergic to accountability, especially fucking women. 
right? Their deferential violence and everything else. They're just like, ah, I didn't, yeah, whatever. It was just, I'm oppressed. And it's like, no, there's a level of, like even people who have mental illnesses, right? Like I've, we've all struggled. Uh, if you're anyone who's lived in any real way, you, you've struggled somehow. And many of us have physical and or, you know, mental uh, things that have been really disparaging in our life. But like uh, someone said to me just the other day, uh, or was in my, my Discord, someone had said uh, that mental illness isn't your fault, but it is your responsibility. So people will make handicaps for themselves. And it's like in, in, in that point of, you know, oh, well, they want to just do the thing to get the thing done. And they're not looking at, at what that means in its totality that takes a level of understanding. It's like people who want to get fit. And I, I've talked about this before. They go like, oh, I'm going to work out and get the bikini body. And then the bikini body's there. And it's like, no, you our goals are organic. Our goals aren't, like our, our accolades will forever be there, but our goals are organic. They change with us, they grow with us. You know, I'm, I'm, I just turned 31. Like my body already doesn't recover how it used to six years ago because scientifically it's impossible. I do things to circumvent that, but how I work out has to change. A man who picks up weights at 18 years old is going to put on weight a lot fucking faster than a man who's 38 years old. That's just how it fucking goes. Well, naturally, of course, you know, for all you boys juicing <laughs> out there, getting that, getting that tea game up. Um, but with that, you know, you have to understand that whatever's going to happen or whatever goal you're going to, that it has to change with you. I think people will sometimes romanticize almost depression or being stuck. And that ends up being this thing that they keep taking in and being like, oh yeah, it just didn't work out. I feel so bad. They have this, this tragedy, whether or not they realize they're carrying it. It could just be the tragedy of bad luck, the tragedy of that one breakup, the tragedy right. of that one thing. And, oh, my car didn't start and I couldn't go to the gym. So I guess I just wasn't meant to. It's like, no, that's, that's where you need to just make the thing happen. And no one's going to fucking do that for you. So along those lines, uh, I'll paraphrase I don't remember if it's probably from both, but Sayak and Atian Zakali. But uh, yeah, to paraphrase, there are no victims, only volunteers. And I'll caveat, like, you could be a child and absolutely be a victim. But when you're an adult, like, hey, I went to the gas station, I got robbed. Like, I'm a victim. Eh, were you? Like, you went to the gas station. Like, everything's on the table. You know that can happen. It happens to people all the time. So did you prepare yourself for that with one familiarization with like violence? Do you carry tools like all these other things or like, no, did you just volunteer for that situation you put yourself in? And I mean, it's like full ownership with, yeah, what you do and how you carry yourself. Like, no, like outside of a kid, like, no, no victims, only volunteers. And I mean, I know that'll rub people the wrong way. Like, Hey, I was assaulted or this. And it's like, okay, maybe like, what have you done in your life to prepare yourself for a very real possibility that like everyone is aware of, like fill in the blank as far as whatever type of assault you want to talk about. And the answer is usually like, oh, well, I didn't really do anything. I'm like, okay. I fully agree with that. Um, not something where like, I hate the phrase when someone says, oh, you see someone in a shitty relationship and like, oh, you deserve so much better. And it took me a while for me to realize, and I'm, I'm glad that I did, you know, I was in a 
really shitty relationship for nearly nine years of my life from the ages of 17 to, to 20, you know, 25. And I was with someone who just like, they were really abusive. And there were other people who saw that, you know, and like abuse takes many forms, but it was just like, there were people who'd be like, hey, you know, he's the kind of guy that would cheat on you or do whatever. And there were people who tried to warn me and you could not fucking tell me. I mistook endurance for loyalty and was just like, no, fuck that. You don't know this person. Like I would get in arguments with people and like cut people out of my life who like talked about him that way and all this stuff. And it became, I had to realize like when I was finally cheated on, like that was the one thing I said I wouldn't put up with. I say finally, it probably happened more than that. But it was like when that came to the culmination of everything and I, I faced that, I realized, no, I, I did deserve this person because no one could fucking talk me out of it. I woke up every single day and white knuckle gripped an idea of someone that I had. And I held on to that and I put up with all the bullshit. And it's like, you can look from the outside and be like, oh, that's fucked up. And I can look at that and be like, yeah, you know, that was fucked up. And what's even more fucked up is I chose to do that every day. I picked that person every day. And yes, abuse fucks with your mind. Uh, you know, so many of us come from fucking childhood trauma, like shitty stuff that's happened. We often get into relationships that emulate either the exact opposite or the exact thing that we came from. We stick to the demons we know. These things happen. These are patterns. But coming to that realization and accepting accountability for the fact that, no, I picked this person. And you know what? I'm never going to do that again. And you know what? It's not the next person's fault that this person did these things to me. Uh, instead of this message that, oh, you can't rely on a man these days. Like, oh, how about we find a way to pick out a man that is reliable? Pick out a man that is good. What does that look like? Who am I? What do I bring to the table, right? And that that transformed it for me of just being like, wow, I fucking hate that now. When someone's like, oh, they don't deserve them. I'm like, they pick that bitch every day. Yes, they do. Yeah, no, like at the end of the day, if one, you can't make good choices for people. <laughs> Like, no, period. Fuck, and and oh, I mean, so you shouldn't. Oh. Like, oh, you shouldn't so either. Sorry, like, I just cut. <laughs> yeah. No, you can't make good choices. But the other part of that is you shouldn't either. Like, people have to be able to grow through that. But then the growth part is wildly uncomfortable. I can tell you from personal experience when you start to own all that stuff because it's, yeah, like it's really, really raw and uncomfortable. But if you do, it's incredibly liberating because no, you don't put, you don't lay your problems at anyone's feet. You're just like, Oh, okay. And so even if, Hey, someone did this to you or someone did something to me, like, okay, like noted the game changed and now it is my turn. So how do I want to respond to that? Like, rather than like, Oh, like I'm a victim, like, Oh, cool. Like, situation change like how do I get to like make my move now and not in like a combative way I mean it could be in a combative way but right. just as a like a frame of mind where it's like oh cool challenge accepted like let's do this thing rather than like oh my gosh like look at what happened to me like this person did like okay like so you're a victim now like that's cool like do you want a cake I don't know <laughs> to, to that note though I will say I think it's healthy for people to take a moment and it's okay to be bummed out. It's okay oh, to be for pissed. Sure. It's okay to be like, no, fuck that person. They wronged me. I had this. Be sad about it. 
be upset about it, but just know that it's also okay to get over it. Like there's, there's a stubbornness sometimes in like holding on to our traumas or like hurt where we wanna hold on to that thing and not let it go because we identify with it. And something that I've had to learn that was really difficult and something that I pass on to my younger cousins and younger brother, I say all the time, know how to be wrong. Like the not easy <laughs> people get so wrapped up in their identity, politics, identity, you know, culture, whatever that is. And there comes a point where I get excited when I have a fruitful debate with someone and I realize something. I rely on my friends and the people I trust to tell me if I'm fucking up. And I'm very clear about that. Like I'll ask people, hey, like, what is it? Can I do this? So everyone will say, oh, I love this person, but, and I'm like, no, what's that but? Let's talk about it. Is it something I can fix? It doesn't mean I'll always change my behavior. You know, back in the day, it'd be like, I'd hear someone didn't like me or get like a, it's the equivalent of somebody getting a random comment and then changing their whole business structure on it, being like, oh, well, this one okay. person made this comment about this one. And you're like, shut the fuck up. You have 50,000 likes on the post and they're like, your knees look weird. Like, calm down, you know? So with that, trying to find that middle ground of being like, okay, well, I don't necessarily need somebody to to constantly tell me I'm doing well or doing better or like, you know, patting me on the back. I need people in my life and require those friends to be like, hey, uh, you're being a cunt about this. And I'm like, oh shit, am I? I'm sorry. Like, I'm genuinely sorry. Let me fix this. And I'm not going to adjust for people that, because if you're doing something right, someone's always going to hate you. We're always going to be the villain in someone else's story, period. Whoever you are, like whatever you've been through, someone's gonna like your ex and someone's talking shit about you and there are people who still like you anyway too. No, like 100%, like I agree. And yeah, to the end of like, yeah, sometimes it is hard to pass through things, like to work through things. And there's something to be said for like legitimately a good night's sleep, regardless, <laughs> regardless of like how terrible things feel like in the middle of the night, you're like, man, I'm going to go to bed. And then you wake up the next day, you're like, oh, holy shit. Like the sun just came up. Like, I guess the world's still spinning. Like, okay, we can get through this. And yeah, give yourself some perspective. That next right thing is so hard. I recently dealt with a uh, another like loss that was close to me. My um, My brother had this hallmark romance with this gal like he, he rides his motorcycle and stuff around she met him and they hung out and she like approached him and was like hey I think you're cool like and like made that interaction and then they hit it off we're talking this was some movie bullshit like she had the sweetest laugh the cutest fucking girl she comes over stays the night for the first time and they hang out and it's all good and he drops her off so he can go to work and then never sees her again she got fucking hit by a car and died that day. And it was like, Oof. yeah. And nothing's harder. Like I lost a brother to cancer. Uh, my brother and I both lost a brother to cancer. You know, he was a year younger than me, but it's like going through that. It's, it's, I'm very good at dealing with my own grief at this point for better or worse. I've had a lot of experience with it and I feel like I find healthy means to do that, but nothing was harder than watching my brother hurt like that because big sister couldn't make it better 
And people will sometimes minimize, you know, the suffering of others that way. Like in that moment, like, yeah, my brother's absolutely the victim of some really terrible fucking circumstance. Like that sucks. But it's like in that moment, you know, realizing that all you can do is like, you know, I've been through loss, I've been through those things, but people will minimize that and go, oh, well, it's just this, or you didn't know each other very long or, you know, whatever. And it's like, no, when you have the experience in that position, you just be there for that person and tell them, hey, I know. It's so fucked up, I know. Sometimes you just need someone to be pissed with you or you need someone yeah. to be sad with you. You don't need someone to blow sunshine up your ass. So it's like it goes no. both ways. Just to your note of like, oh, we get up, the world keeps spinning. There comes a point where there's a solace in that of knowing I made it another day. But there's also sometimes people where they push through that so much that they forget, to your point of talking about experiences, right? They want to be able to just say they got through it instead of experiencing getting through it. And then yeah, sometimes you just got to sit in it, man. Like, fuck, there's no fast way through that. No, you just got to fucking hurt. So, you know, it's okay, guys mm. out there listening. You know, it's all right. You just you have a sad day and you know that it's okay to have a sad day because sometimes the answer to a bad day is just having a bad fucking day. It's not, oh, let's go do this or it's all better. And, you know, hey, it's okay. Like, I don't need light at the end of the tunnel right now. I need you to tell me that that's fucked up and that you're here for me. <laughs> And then you will be armed with perspective, which will make you appreciate all of the days that are better than that one. Someone said recently, to me again, it's just a reminder. They're just like, hey, when things are going bad, it means that things are going good because there has to be something there. And it's a little tough no, facing like that. It's uncomfortable, but yeah, no, you have to have that perspective. I mean, you, know, you can eat, you can eat a... Uh, like amazing steak all day, every day. And then you're like, man, sure would like a hot dog. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> no, but I mean, it's, it's changed, like change in any form. Like you, it's that change that creates perspective to where you're like, oh man. And then eat a couple of hot dogs and you're like, damn, I would really like that ribeye back. <laughs> <laughs> what was the, on that note, what was the change for you? When you said you made the decision to be like, I'm done with contracting I want to do these things and, and be there with my sons. What was, what was that? Yeah. For you? So I, I mean, ultimately like having one, if you, if anyone out there has ever been divorced or is going through a divorce, they will have been there, but Divorce is terrible, especially with kids. I'm not saying that you can't have an amicable divorce. Like maybe it probably is more difficult to have an amicable, ah, amicable divorce with kids. <laughs> but um, yeah, no. And so all of a sudden, yeah, getting your world kind of like torn apart and recognizing you don't maybe have say in everything in your life to include like time with your kids and stuff like that to, to just be aware that like, Oh yeah, like this court can say something and that is going to determine when you and how you can like see your children, for example, which is like horrifying, like super messed up. And I, yeah, like I ultimately come ended up coming to the realization that like, Hey, like, Kind of the most important thing for me right now is to like be with my boys and be a present father. 
And with that, I was like, what is like, what does that look like? Like being a father and being present, like, well, okay, I need to be there. And the easy, honestly, the easy answer was, Hey, I'm going to, so we ended up in going through terrible court divorce, all that stuff. And we we're court appointing mediation for like child custody, my wife and I. And I really like, I'd come to the realization that like, Hey, like I, like I want my boys in my life. And like that, that's something that I need to and do and should value. And so, Hey, I really want 50, 50 physical equal custody. And my wife was like, no, like absolutely not. And I was like, look, like, here's what I want. And the way I was fully ready to just continue contracting for probably the rest of my life because it was easy and I made a bunch of money and basically work 60 on 60 off. And so like, Hey, I'm going to be gone for two months. When I come back, like I want my boys for two months and like not uninterrupted. Like I understand the disruption there for them, but like I want time with them so they can go back to you for like weekends, like here and there through that, all that stuff, like no problem. But like, I want basically my boys for the line share that time when I'm home and she would not agree to 50 50. And so finally, like through the mediator, the woman was like, okay, well what about 50 50 when you are present, like in the County? So being gone half the year working overseas, it turns into 25 75 timeshare. So when I'm home, I basically would have my boys like every other week. And so what I really and truly wanted was my boys. Like I wanted time with my boys. So I was like, okay, cool. Like let's just go ahead and get this signed and through the court so we can be done. So as soon as that stuff came back from the court, all the documents signed, I was like, by the way, I'm never going back overseas. So we have 50, 50 physical legal custody. Toby, Toby without a plan, like, which is why I, yeah, like scraped by for years, like exiting without a plan in debt. But yeah, like that's, I don't know. That's what was important. It's crazy too how I'll talk to people who've worked jobs where they had a lot of income, like came from a lot or whatever and then something changes and there wasn't really a, a foresight to that. Like there's such a comfort in that money when you make that much of just like, oh, everything's gonna be fine. I'm just gonna have it. And then it's not there. And then there's a huge other dose of the real world that comes with that of like, oh, I'm like a plebe and I have to do bottom of the barrel work for bottom of the barrel pay. This is fucking shitty. <laughs> yeah, no, like it, it it is a massive reality check. And it's also one of those things too, like bam, immediately like all my credit shot, everything like that. Like I have just had a debit card for like years. And so if there's no money for that, then you're not getting that. That's how that works. Right. And I mean, you end up getting to be really good at being poor, which honestly is a really good skill. And it's one of those where it's interesting, though, because 
like basically zeroing everything out and like slowly like getting feet back under you. But it makes you like re-examine like, hey, like what's important? Like is this thing important for me to get right now? Or like what is a good use of my money, which is a direct correlation to my time? And then also the importance of, because again, people are like, oh, I'm super good with money. I should go contract. I won't fall into the trap you did. Okay, that's cool. Okay. And, and really what ends up happening for almost everyone, and you could probably speak to this to the people that you know that have contracted, is your lifestyle immediately scales with your income. And, and I mean, honestly, that happens for most people across the board, even outside of contracting. You're like, oh, I'm making more money. Like, I can do this now. And you're like, oh, or, or not. Like, or you could just maintain like a realistic lifestyle and maybe save a little bit or not be like leveraged to the hilt in debt. And so, yeah, I mean, as I, and get a car with like 900% yeah. interest. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, predatory lending practices. And, uh, no, like all that's like, it's real though. Like people trying or people just very easily and unbeknownst to them, like scale their lifestyle with their income. And so that's one, I mean, I don't make a lot of money like at all. My bills are paid and I'm stoked on that, but like, I, I'm also going back to like identity and stuff like that. Like I drive a $500 minivan, like it's like rusted out and it's beat up. Like I, I blasted the oil pan out, like off-roading and I had to replace the oil pan. Like, and I will drive it until it dies. Like, I don't care. Like my self-worth is not tied up in the vehicle that I drive. And that onto itself is a journey that especially men like, just have to go on in their own time as far as yeah there was a time when i identified as like i'm a marine all right cool i'm a police officer i'm a contractor <laughs> like all that stupid shit and then eventually it's like oh no like i'm ivan and i'm also a father of two boys like that's probably the apex of the importance of my life at this juncture right now but i'm just me and i'm a father so there's that rather than Hey, like I need to be this thing and I need all of the things that go with it because that is m what my identity is wrapped up in and stuff like that. God, that's so real. Someone once told me, um, and this, this stuck with me. They're like, you always know who's rich because they'll show you. But those <laughs> who are wealthy, you discover. And that's something where I had noticed that when you know, I've met some people in my life and you can just tell they have like a pair of leather shoes that's worn, but they spent $300 on that pair of leather shoes and they've had them for 11 years. They have a truck that they've maintained and kept going for the last 20 years. You know, so you see these things and like th there's different kinds of wealth. There's the, the earned wealth and then there's the wealth that's kind of given. And I feel like there's a a big difference there and, and to your note of just you know being poor is a skill that is such an underrated thing to say because it is so like growing up like I didn't grow up in fucking a mansion like we didn't go without in the way that you know we weren't uh like destitute like not able to pay power bills month on end whatever like we lived in a home 
the home was always a fixer-upper. You know, I didn't get, uh, you know, whatever. Drywall uh, in, in certain spots didn't happen until, like, I was a teenager. Like, what? But I didn't give a fuck as a kid. That being said, like, I learned a lot of shit. I grew up doing contracting, grew up doing those things. And now it's like I've been able to lay my own floors, build my own dojo, do my own shit, look at my own vehicle. I know how to assess my vehicle and know what's wrong with it enough. Like, I'm not a mechanic, but I know enough and growing up not going to the fucking doctor has made me very useful. I'm my own backyard medic. I've done a lot of uh, YouTube tutorials and figurines out, and there's not a lot you can't get done with uh, super glue, some kind of uh, anis- like medical antiseptic, and fucking, you know, uh, like duct tape. Like, those three things can get you so far, you know? <laughs> so there's You can also do a lot of things in a vehicle with those... <laughs> those same materials you can fix a lot of vehicle stuff oh man super glue and duct tape like is my first aid kit like for the most part i mean we do need some trauma packings and whatever but it's like the amount of times that i've needed stitches and i'm like nah super glue and duct tape we're good to go and i was driving home from base and had a radiator hose blow out and went into the uh like little whatever store attached to a gas station and basically got a thing of super glue, some duct tape, and then just more water for the radiator. Glued it, taped it, poured water in, and drove home, and drove on it for another three or four days before I replaced it. Well, it's like on that on the note of like you know usefulness, like of, of poorness being a skill. It's funny when I meet these people, especially people like only children who grew up with like a single parent who does everything for them, or like they had money. They're borderline like helpless in situations. Like I remember just on the note of like fucking, you know, my ex not knowing how to use the washing machine. And I'm just like, are you kidding me? Like you're a grown man, what the fuck? And there's people like that who they can't even, they, they don't know how to change a light bulb. And I know that sounds fucking retarded cause it is, but that happens where they're like, oh no, labor's for poor people. Like we don't do these things. Yeah, no, people have been enabled because like there's never been a consequence like, oh, like I will do that for you in like now you don't have to do that. And I mean, it's so with having kids, do you know what is a huge pain in the ass is having your kids make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich <laughs> the first or even the 20th time. You're just like, give me the damn knife. Like I got this. Like give it to me. But, comma, do you want to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for a 30-year-old child? The answer is no. So you invest the time and you take a deep breath and use a little bit of patience and you go through all of those simple things so you don't have to have an adult who can't make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich or know how to use the washer or change a light bulb. Or like, clean up their space. Like parents, all of it. like moms who clean up. You know, and that theme carries over, not just in like parental ways, but in a business aspect too. You see it so much. Like I hope businesses kind of unfuck themselves sometimes. They'll be like, hey, like help us isolate issues to figure out where this miscommunication is happening or whatever. And you like plug in a system. And oftentimes the system is you have a helicopter parent running the place who isn't able to take a step back and let the machine work on its own. And when they hold everyone's hand, it's like having, you know, that one 
middle-aged lady in, in HR who wants to make sure that her job is invaluable. So she gatekeeps a bunch of information. And then like when something happens, like mm, I'm the only one who knows how to do this. <laughs> You're like, no, that's not helping anybody. Like you become better when the person behind it, the responsible party uh, or the you know authoritative party is the one who's able to delegate and like let people grow in those spaces. Cause that's, everything's a shit peanut butter and jelly sandwich until it isn't. And that's really <laughs> hard for people to watch, especially in a workplace when they're like, oh God, this isn't going to work or whatever. It's like, no, you got to let them, it's okay. It's going to be okay. It's going to work. It's going to yeah, No, like it, it takes time and patience, but people have to have the ability to do it and fail and learn and get better. And finally, yeah, like master it. Failure is the root of all successes. You know, I'm not going to pretend that I'm everywhere I want to be in my life, but I stand by that. People will. Oh no. Like people are afraid of failure to the point where they won't try anything. And you're like, you failed way worse than if you tried and failed. Failure is totally just pivot points. Everything like failure is not like failure is, is obstacles. It's not in its totality. So like goals are organic. Failure is organic. Success is organic. What used to work won't work anymore. Like what you're talking about with fitness, right? So these things all change. And if we can look at failure as something that is an organic thing that happens, we, we move, maneuver with it. Like success isn't, oh, cool. I just got lucky and got this shit today. It's like, no, like, it's not. You have to do a bunch of shit that doesn't fucking work. Have hard conversations and going back to accountability, know how to be wrong and reflect and correct on your fucking behavior. Because you can reflect all day and be like, hmm, yeah, you know, I'm an asshole. And if you never do anything to change that, then what the fuck? Like, then you're just an asshole and you're fully aware of that. Like, you're just a Which piece is of shit the worst it. kind. <laughs> yeah. They were like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm just, I'm just fucking retarded. I just, I can't. And it's like, okay, so you're not going to try? Like, there right. comes a point where you have to fucking try or you are going to fail every relationship. And these are the kinds of people who walk through the world. I'm not wrong. The world is. And you're like, you need yeah. to chill the fuck out. If this is resonating with you right now and you're that person who can't take criticism, learn how to fucking take criticism and actually maybe change a little bit. Like there's so much to that. Even, you know, I'm a mouthy cunt. Anyone listening knows that, you know, I've got, you know, my personality and it's like, if my dumb ass can sit down and still have someone tell me like, hey, I don't like this, this needs to be addressed. I'll be like, oh shit. Like what used to really hurt my feelings, like you can still be like, oh, it doesn't feel good, but you can still work through that and find a better solution. Not if you're a narcissist. Oh yeah, no, that's then like- <laughs> <laughs> it will just literally break uh, you. The other end word. Yes. They are the way they are. No, God, that's the that's the fucking truth. Okay, well, on that note, Ivan, this has been a really <laughs> cool and thought-provoking episode. I'm just gonna Again, I know you've, you mentioned your, your stuff and whatnot. Where, where can people find you? How can they access your, your page, your social medias, whatever? Yeah, no. Um, real quick, one last thing. This, First of all, this conversation went wildly in a different direction than I'd originally envisioned, but it's been <laughs> cool. Um, but since something something you brought, well, something we've talked about, just like being a father and stuff like that too, and has come up and it's something that I actually get like DMs about too is people cause like on my Instagram and stuff, which is kit 
underscore badger on Instagram. Um, there'll be stuff like with my boys and yeah, go out and do stuff like live life, share experiences and people like common theme will be like, Hey man, like, how do you like, how do you find time to like, how are you able to go do this stuff like with your kids? And the not fun answer is like willingness to be uncomfortable like for long periods of time, like whether it's being good at being poor or just recognizing like, Hey, I'm not going to get a new this because that doesn't improve my life over going and spending time like with my boys doing something meaningful. And so there's like, there's no free lunch with it, but if you're willing to do something and actually willing to sacrifice things that don't matter for things that do matter, like, yeah, you can absolutely make it happen. But yeah, be, be in for discomfort and be cool with it because getting the things you want don't usually get handed to you. But sorry, no, <laughs> that lasts a little bit. Uh, you know, for what it's worth, we usually polish things off with dad advice. And to be fair, this whole episode has kind of been like, you know, dad advice. So that just... That just buttons up everything real nicely. Um, there we go. But no, it's, it's been really awesome having you on. And uh, I know Nathan and uh, BR and Lucas, they, they're all uh, busy right now. Uh, so Nathan and uh, BR were headed to Carolinas to do, to do a meet and greet, I think, with AWS. Um, I know Nathan was excited to chat with you too at some point because I think he mentioned that uh, he knows you as well. So at some point, we'll have to uh, have you back on you know, no, that'd be fun. Stuff, but no, it was, yeah. it was really awesome. So one last chance sounds like kit underscore badger for Instagram and yeah. The and website. the website is just kitbadger.com and the YouTube channel is yeah. Kit badger. All right, all y'all. Hey, thanks for hanging out and listening to us. And uh, hopefully you walk out with some little golden nuggets to uh, make your life better. So get up, make your bed, you know, wash your ass, do that. <laughs> <laughs>